Welcome to Opera San Jose Talks. Today, uh, I have with me Maria Natale, who's singing Butterfly, and Renee Rapier, who's singing Suzuki. Now, Renee and I go back a while, mm-hmm. and Maria and I go back several months. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have to say that both of these women are charming and intelligent and beautiful. Oh, and uh, wow. such, such colleagues. <laughs> real colleagues. A real pleasure to have among us, which I'm very grateful for, by the way. Oh, well, <laughs> it isn't always that way, right? It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Yep. It's really fun. I think Irene Dallas made a little Eden for opera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's just the strangest place. You Everywhere else I go, I think, God, the Met wishes they had this. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah. But anyway, it's it's a it's great to work here for me too, mm-hmm. and uh, having good colleagues in the building makes it as good as it can be. Um, at this point in our lives, uh, our music rehearsals have been over since March nine, and we have been in staging rehearsal since March eleven, and today is what the twenty sixth. So yes. we're getting very close. Next uh, Wednesday, we're going to have our designer run. That's right. The first time we'll see the whole show all the way top to bottom with the stage director not really stopping very much. Close my mind. It's here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Brad stops every two minutes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when you get into the theater, it'll be like he's never seen the score before in his life. He'll start <laughs> over. He starts over. It was this opera. It was his first assignment with us. I see. So we're talking about Brad Dalton, stage director, and he did this butterfly in 2007. That's right. And we brought this production back one other time, and now it's back again because I adore it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had all the geishas lined up at the beginning of the show when they all come out, right? Mm-hmm. And then they have to come down, and they come down the steps, and they cross mm-hmm. when they're coming down the steps. He had them all lined up, and he decided that they were not evenly spaced. And they kind of did all manner of things to get evenly spaced. And finally, he just stood up and went and got a ruler. He did that this production period. Yeah, he learned to do it yeah. here. <laughs> he did it again. Yeah. Oh, my God. out a ruler to make sure they were yeah. all standing exactly where they belonged. So they all, each had their spikes, so they were all exactly evened up across. So And, and with Cosi Fantutta, he did the same kind of thing. And oh, with wow. the, he's very, very particular. Please move over three and a half inches. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. We've been experiencing that. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Even yeah. in the room. So he's mm-hmm. really about spacing and, and mm-hmm. getting that picture exactly balanced. I think when something is slightly off, it's like static in his mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And that's what happens. I understand it in that I'm the same way. Mm-hmm. If I'm sitting at somebody's desk and they have stuff on the front of the desk, it's all askew. While I'm sitting there chatting with them, I'm straightening it all out. <laughs> oh sure, it's like seeing a you know a picture in someone's house that's slightly crooked. Uh, you just actually, have to fix my, it. My husband's like that. He's extremely, he is the most neat neck person ever. Yeah. And so sometimes I'll go. He, he'll have like things displayed out in our dining room, and I will move them over slightly <laughs> to see how long it takes for them to notice. <laughs> to and move it's it usually like forty-five seconds, wow. not even. He'll come in, and he'll move it. He won't even say anything. Yep. He won't even look. He'll just continue to talk to me, and he'll just move it over, and that's mm-hmm. it. It's mm-hmm. a static. I don't mind dust. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's just, oh, I don't want Everybody's anything out of place, please. <laughs> just crazy. Mm-hmm. And you don't want that kind of person running your opera company. <laughs> life is awry yeah. in an opera company. Mm-hmm. Well, as long as we're on husbands. Renee, <laughs> yes. talk to me. 
Are you married? Even? I am, yes. You're married, all right. Yes, we're, I, it's funny, Marie and I have, our husbands are, I think, quite similar Very in some similar. ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, they both have uh, gorgeous accents and are tall, dark, and handsome. And um, and they're both, and my husband's a software engineer, and Maria's husband is... An, Aerospace engineer. Yeah, so they're, I mean, quite quite uh, different personalities. And um, I think we, we both, Marie and I both get to be the... The, uh, the artistic... Yeah, oh, Mess, yes, exactly. and then they get you know make sure that we're all yep. put together and he and... cleans up my messes <laughs> yep. and, uh, yeah but he's he's a wonderful i mean he was a total civilian uh i like to say to to the opera world i brought I him say muggle a muggle oh that's great <laughs> yeah. oh just feel bad but he i mean i brought him to his first opera which was a oh gosh who was it written by it was a premiere of a very small very small premiere and um it's a very strange opera and has not been done again that I know of. Um, and so I was like, oh, this, I need to take you to a different opera. So I was <laughs> taking him to, um, oh gosh, he got to see some early Verdi. He got to see a bunch of Mozart that season. And now he is an aficionado. He knows all the things. He knows more about opera than I do at this point. Um, Isn't it amazing? Opera fans can tell you what Maria Callas had for breakfast mm-hmm. in Barcelona. Yeah, That's right. yeah. I and, couldn't. Yeah. I didn't I'm know too, she was I'm in Barcelona. I'm too busy thinking about my soft palate. <laughs> and that's what I should be thinking about. Um, but yeah, it's it's fascinating to um, to see people's uh, way into this genre, into this world, and where we all come from. And it's it's been so much fun for me as as a spouse and as a musician to have to translate what I'm going through as uh, you know in a, any given day. Uh, into something that a non-opera singer will understand. So I really, it's it's kind of helpful yeah. in that way. I think. Absolutely. It, it, <laughs> an opera singer's life is very specific. Yes. And other people's lives don't resemble them. Mm-hmm. No, they don't. And finding somebody, um, you know, finding a spouse that can not only try to understand that but deal with it mm-hmm. is really rare because I know a lot of people they just can't make it work because our lives are very particular yeah. it's just we could drive any normal person crazy with all yeah. of our shenanigans oh it's you know, completely and, crazy making well, even, even when there are no shenanigans just the vocalizing every day Oh, well, I don't do that at home. I get I, very... Um, I don't do that when... I always uh, always warm up when he's at work. Yeah. Unless mm-hmm. it's like the weekend. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people always say to him, oh, you must love having this beautiful voice singing beautiful songs all day long for you. And he always goes, what? He goes, she's always just making weird noises. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not even, I never even hear a song or an aria. Oh, it's just... A lot of, you know, buzzing and cat sounds <laughs> and screeching. And... I think it's more jarring for him, for, for my husband, when my, you know, my friends and his friends get together because his friends are, are uh, rather, they're all, you know, in the same industry that he is for the most part. And they're so fabulous, but they are just, opera singers just get so loud when we get mm-hmm. together. So when there's a group and um, most of the time his friends and my Party opera friends they, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, purely because one group is just yeah. like it's hard to talk over us when we get together in groups especially but. engineers who have this very quiet yeah. sensibility yes, about them yeah. they're very calm my husband's very cool calm collected yes. Never, I've never heard him raise his voice ever it's mm-hmm. been 10 years and I've never heard him 
you know, mm-hmm. and we are crazy and we yell and we scream and we're emotional yeah. and, you know, one, one minute we're like this and the other minute we're like that. Exactly, so, exactly. Um, it is, it's a funny dynamic, mm-hmm. but it works. Mm-hmm. It works really well. I, I don't even, I know a lot of singers that are with singers and I don't know if I could handle that. I don't think there could be two of me in a relationship. Yeah. I think I would probably strangle the other person. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm so grateful for it. For someone who's able to to support me, absolutely, uh, in that way, and mm-hmm. and I've got I've got I mean he's a gem. Speaking uh-huh. of support, that leads me straight mm-hmm. to an important question. Uh huh. Renee, you're singing Suzuki. Yes, yes. Suzuki is a servant, actually. Mm-hmm. She's a bought and paid for servant mm-hmm. for Chocho-san, who is Butterfly. Mm-hmm. Who is Butterfly? Oh boy. Well, I'm sure that this is. This opera is such a, a sacred cow, and I'm I, um, I'm sure there are so many people who know so much more no, about but it than I do. No, through the eyes but... of you as Suzuki, yeah. who is this woman? Well, it's for me as a you know Suzuki gets um, the the joy that I get out of playing this role, and I think uh, the joy that most mezzos get out of playing this role is being a support system to someone doing something so Herculean as to sing and perform this role of butterfly, which is just, I don't, I'm trying to think if there's a, I don't think there's a harder role in opera, (laughs) you know, like it's, oh man, it's just gut wrenching and vocally demanding and the movement and all these things. It's so specific. So um, I see, um, I, I guess Suzuki, the way that I feel about, uh, I've been fortunate enough to work with such such great butterflies. The way that I felt about all of them and the way that Suzuki feels about butterfly is very similar. Um, butterfly is is someone that that Suzuki would do absolutely anything for. Precisely, wouldn't she? Yeah. There's uh, a real worship there. Yes, and it's a it's this fine balance between seeing she sees or she's seen butterfly. I mean she's been a servant of the family for a long time so I'm assuming that she was there when Butterfly was born oh so there's some backstory for you I think so I think so um uh is a, like she's she's been a servant for a long time uh in the libretto it says that yeah or am I making that up I might be making that up um but she yeah I mean she's that's what I'm assuming uh, at the very least and um yeah so she's she's known this little girl and she grows up but there's there's still this dynamic of the the servant master relationship, and it's so interesting, especially in Act Two and mm-hmm. Three, when we get to really well, explore that. With Butter being all, Butterfly being all of fifteen, fifteen, I know. At the opening of the show, mm-hmm. you're not that much older than she. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that, I think I think Butterfly for her is. Um, it's it's become her and the and the child of course like they've become her singular focus and there's and women throughout history and in general just uh have been asked to do that and be that um so frequently mm-hmm. so i feel that it is something very maternal there's something very maternal about and something um, very universal about this person yeah oh absolutely absolutely i'll tell you this if you have a cold-hearted Suzuki on stage, you ain't got no opera. Yeah, it's true. That's right. It's true. Because so much of the opera is not standing and singing Un Baldi. Mm-hmm. So much of the opera is conversation. Oh, yeah. 
And if you don't have a Suzuki who is attentive, aware, and awake, and, and paying attention to what's going on, radar up. Mm-hmm. Suzuki's radar is up. Mm-hmm. Who is that woman? Mm-hmm. You know, she's there. Who is that? Yeah. And and protective. No. Suzuki is able to stand up and say no. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and she's the watchdog. Mm-hmm. And it's a big deal. So I'm so pleased that... You're singing our Suzuki. Oh, I'm so happy to do it. I'm so <laughs> pleased that I've got such a wonderful butterfly. Oh, this no. is very exciting. Uh, I, the opposite. Seriously, <laughs> especially this being my first butterfly and having you up there on stage with oh. me, I am, I feel like beyond lucky. Oh, gosh. Because I've... you have been, you have, you always say, oh, I'm up on stage so much or whatever. You are on stage the whole the time. Entire yeah. time. You do, it's Even when Chocha San is not on stage. Right. Suzuki is. I think Suzuki is a more exhausting role than Butterfly. Yeah, like there's more singing with Chocho-san, but the actual constant, you have to be so on it and so aware of everything that's going on stage at all time with everybody. You're in everybody's business. Mm -hmm. You're moving things. And then on top of it, Renee, the most wonderful person in the world, she's like, I'll find a way to sneak some water for you. And I'm like, oh, you're going to do that too? You can't do that. I mean, I I really do. It makes me so much more comfortable to, to be the support person than to be the like to carry the whole show. You're carrying the whole, I mean, obviously, but like in, I mean, it's just you carry so much throughout this show, uh, emotionally and vocally, and just attention wise. Like there, oh gosh, I can't imagine having to stand there and hold. You have to hold the audience in the palm of your hand. For so long, <laughs> and without and without much physical movement. Yeah, it's, that yep. is one of the the challenges mm-hmm. of this role. I I found this that's finding the stillness. Yeah, you know. Um, Especially just coming from doing uh, Nedda, which is completely opposite. Yeah, like exactly. Screaming and slapping whips, and yep. you know, and you can use your body and your. Yes. It's so much easier to sing that way, but to constrain yourself oh, is especially under so the, hard. the constraints of, of, of those geisha movements, yeah. the costumes, the, the movements, and that whole idea things. that you must stand as a pillar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When we did our very first butterfly, the lovely and and spectacular and dear friend of mine, Elena Lapalainen, was our very first resident soprano. Mm-hmm. She was the first resident artist engaged. And there's a lovely photograph of her that I put on the front cover of a brochure a few years later when we were doing Butterfly. And Elana, it was Elana coming over the bridge oh. in, with parasol. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. And she had her, her forearms were parallel to the floor. Her el- elbows were straight out. Mm. And of course, Marjorie. she can't do that mm. at all. Marjorie and, would not be happy with that. Oh, we're God. so <laughs> lucky to have Marjorie. Oh, my Marjorie gosh. Marjorie is the best. Oh, what a gift. Uh-huh. I really wish she... Um, mm, I'm mm. so, so grateful for her. Mm-hmm. And too. so are we. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She had our legs tied yesterday, so then we would take smaller steps yep. and bend our knees. Yep. So. Yep. Because you can... I mean, the having having someone there to help like to give you the guidelines of moving in this very specific way uh 
uh, is so much easier on the body than the first, you know, having not had that up until now, having to do this role without that, you kind of just end up tensing your body, at least I do, mm -hmm. I end up tensing Absolutely. my body because I, it doesn't know what exactly to do. To do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, having, yeah, we were both walking around. We had, we had elastic things <laughs> uh, tying us right above mm -hmm. the knee. So we just were. Did you know that actually is geisha training? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because of course I've watched, did you know the first geishas were men? Yes. Yeah. yeah. We mm -hmm. learned all this in geisha boot camp. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. I was just amazed. And that the geishas uh, were very restricted in hair ornaments, mm -hmm. only three and specific sizes, a comb, two pins, one shorter than the other. Uh, they had to have a white collar underneath the kimono. Mm -hmm. And in early days, the, uh, which we didn't obey this at all, the kimonos are very simple, mm -hmm. not embroidered and not patterned. Yeah, I think especially for the mm -hmm. like actual geishas, their their outfits are quite um, very simple. Yeah, very simple. It's the the geishas in training. Uh, the, oh, I forgot the name. Um, oh, I should remember that myself. Oh, oh whatever they are. I should have looked that's it up too hard. It. But they, those are the the very ornate, ornate. geishas mm -hmm. and courtesans. Geisha, um, the actual it was to separate the geishas from the courtesans. Yes, yeah. that's a different whole. The different. courtesans were Im yeah. elaborate, mm -hmm. crazy, mm -hmm. you know, Marie Antoinette kind of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah just yeah, yeah. crazy, crazy, full of huge clothes, giant shoes, the, the a thousand giant mm -hmm. things right. in their hair. Right. Um, Whereas the geishas, well, as, as uh, people w wouldn't know, and I only recently discovered the word geisha translates as a person of art. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So it's not a sex game here. Mm -hmm. No, it's yeah. not. Um, and I think, I think when you, oh gosh, when you look at the, the uh, main focus of geisha life, which is like the, the tea service, conversation, uh, playing uh, dancing. music, dancing, mm -hmm. uh, singing. Like, Playing koto and other instruments. Yep. Yeah. Renaissance woman. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Very well rounded. It's it's kind of, you know, back in, you know, old Europe, how women would, you know, they would learn how to play the piano and they would learn how exactly. to, you know, do salon recitals and everything. But that was just to well round themselves and be able to hold conversation and so you know. As courtesans had to do in the nineteenth century, right? Mm -hmm. And eighteenth century. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, the Queen of England, Elizabeth I, was a skilled keyboard artist. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. and they would all dance. Well, it's kind of it's kind of uh, part of our you know as opera singers, it's part of our job as well. We're expected to uh, be well read. I seem I fall short on that quite frequently. <laughs> uh, well read. We're supposed to be able to have conversations with with uh, you know. People, all kinds all of people. kinds of people. And a million dollar donors. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then people who've never been to an opera we before. We need some of those, by the way. If you yeah. run into any, send them our way. Send them your way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're, I think we're more akin to, uh, to a geisha uh, than, than uh, you know, say, the, what people normally think of as, you know, the geisha. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating world to be in. Um, and I, I just want to know more. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a, go to YouTube and type in Japan. Oh, Japan, okay. <laughs> and then the word documentary. I'm just going to need a few years, and a then I'll get there. A thousand will come up. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. It's just so, you, there's just not enough, um, there's just not enough 
time. You know, you really have to go and mm-hmm. it's one of those art forms that you have to go and actually do for several years, that sort of oh, thing. all of life. The, um, the wonderful thing about doing um, a show like Butterfly is hopefully you we get to do many, many in our life and then you yeah. just continue to build upon that and learn more mm-hmm. about that culture and every show that we do, we can we can add another layer. You know, I'm, I'm finding that with this role. At first, I opened up the score and I was like, wow, it's like a really messy room. It's like, yeah. It seemed like so much. I didn't even know how I would, let alone learn the whole score, but then also learn about the culture of, yeah. of the character, um, the background of the character, the background of the other characters that she comes in contact with, mm-hmm. or, I mean, just the whole thing seemed so impossible. But, you know, it's it's little by little, and these are, these are the roles that you work on for, like, like for a lifetime. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The great roles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, I do think it is, is important, especially with this, uh, this piece in particular, um, like we, it's that burden, not burden, that, um, the idea of being as respectful as possible. The obligation. It's an obligation. Thank you very much. It's an obligation. And, um, and one that, I mean, we're so happy to have Marjorie with us oh, to help us be as, uh, respectful as we possibly can be in our movements and how we do things. But at the end of the day, I was, I was so lucky to get to do a butterfly with, um, a butterfly who was Japanese and she had performed the role mm-hmm. in Japan a number of times which is she told me that the wig was super heavy because they use real geisha wigs they're like wow. 15 pounds <gasps> can no. you imagine no. and like all the you know it was, everything was extremely extremely authentic as far as the clothing and everything um, and so she said that was difficult but people in Japan really love this opera because it's they, it's an, she said it's an Italian opera it's an Italian opera and um, so I was asking her about all these little movement things, and she's like, it's fine, it's an Italian opera. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that made me feel a little bit better. But, it, I mean, it's just so interesting how, um, you know, I, and now that, as soon as she said that, I started to kind of reformulate how I thought about performing this role and this whole opera. Like, there's there are things, like, I want to do everything I can, but it also has to be... It's still an Italian opera. It's still an Italian yeah. opera. And you are still an opera singer up there. Absolutely. Um, you know, Marjorie had said something really... She wants everything to be very authentic, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. But she had said something to me like, your eyes are too big. You have to make them smaller mm-hmm. to be more Japanese-like. And which, in any sort of other circumstance, any maybe on screen or something, that would be... But on okay, an opera on stage, an opera stage <laughs> you need to see the eyes. <laughs> you need to see the eyes. Yeah. Yes. And that's what connects you to the audience. So there are certain things that you you give and take, you yeah, know, in, yeah. in being quote unquote authentic. Yeah. I'm going to embarrass you now. Um, Brad and I were just talking yesterday mm-hmm. about the presence of certain people. And he said about your eyes, oh. <laughs> about how telling they are, how how communicative they are, and then he started talking about uh, Re- Renee Fleming's eyes uh-huh. and how telling they are, and then Jesse Norman's eyes uh-huh. and how telling they are, <laughs> and how you can be arrested by someone's eyes just walking around in life. Mm-hmm. You have enormous eyes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was speaking to Renee. <laughs> so, and, and I'll tell you, having a small mouth, 
having small eyes or close-set eyes are not helpful on stage. Not helpful mm-hmm. on the stage. Does yeah. not help you. You have to do everything about it. Yeah. I have close-set eyes and a weak jaw. Mm-hmm. And when in the early days when I was only on, in opera workshops was I on mm-hmm. stage, but the trouble we went through to try to turn me into the romantic lead. Oh. I had they had to paint white clown white from my temple across my eyes to the other temple oh just underneath oh. my eyebrows. Clown white. And then on top of that, they would put the base, but but being careful not to put much base over that clown white, mm-hmm. and then drew in my eyes starting at the midpoint of the eye, going oh, out. Oh my goodness! And then they would ho- paint white between the black lines to pull the right. eye farther right. out. Yeah, yeah. And most everybody had to put a little red dot at the the middle of their eyes. No red dots on me. Uh (laughs) Yeah. And the same thing, they would paint my neck uh, kind of a darker brown. Sure. Oh, yeah. 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 And then paint my jaw all the way around. All the contouring. Once again, with clown white. (laughs) And then put a little bit of base on top. Took forever. And then they decided they wanted me to have curly hair. They were always deciding I should have overall curls. So even when I was at a Broadway show, I would have to come in way early because they wanted to set my hair. (laughs) Oh, they had me (laughs) used So I had to come in like an extra hour and a half to, to get my hair curled so I could go on stage. Oh, I, was, I used to hate it. Uh, the thing I hated most about being on stage was makeup. Oh, that's oh. One of makeup my and wigs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love makeup. Mm-hmm. Oh, not, oh. not this kid. Uh, so, but at any rate, I would like to now know about Mr. B.F. Pinkerton. Good old oh. Benjamin Franklin Pinkerton. Wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is... I, I would say he is not, he can't be older than 22. He's between 18 and 22. He's a young guy who, um, you know, traveling around, you know. He's in the Navy. In the Navy. <laughs> and, um, you know, he f- decides, I mean, he already knows he's he's not the greatest example of an upstanding man. He he already knows that he wants to be married to an American wife, and he says it from the very beginning. And he already knows that he is just going to make this... You know, he wants to have a woman in his he house while he's on shore. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, not really thinking of the repercussions of what um, what would happen to her. Um, not really thinking, a very selfish person, not thinking about anybody else. I think that he does have an infatuation with her. He does have a, a, a sort of of love, a very immature... Yeah, I was going to say, do you think he's in love? When... A very immature, if you want to call attraction. it love. Attraction. Let's call it an attraction. Yeah. Um, he cares for her in some sort of way, but I think it all depends. He wants to give her, wants to make her feel special because it makes him feel special. That he could do that. That he could do that. So it's always about him. He's very narcissistic. It's, isn't that the, uh, I mean, it's just I such. I know many men like this. It's, it's, it's okay. Such an, it's, a, it's an embodiment of, of imperialism. There it you really go. is like, mm-hmm. we are going to make your life better yeah. by destroying it. But, but don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> We're doing it for the right reason. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, I, he, it's, it's very, it's very, 
it's a little twisted and mm-hmm. a lot of the, the lines that he says are very insensitive and it shows how much he doesn't first of all um care about being respectful to her culture um you know for instance he says tuta la tua tribu all of your tribe uh, he says, you know, very kind of derogatory things. He says, you know, ki bronta la la su. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's saying... What, what is this ki bronta la la su? Ki bronta la la su is who's like, who's I'm like I'm praying whining. in the background. Who's oh. whining out there Suzuki is praying in the background. And yeah. he's saying, who's grumbling? And he calls your... your um, the statuettes of your ancestors. Oh, he uh, calls them the puppets. Yeah. And she's like, no, these are the souls of my ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'd be like, like walking into like a very, very, like a, you know, like a Catholic household me like, oh, it's a lovely tea over there. What does yeah, it stand it's for? Yeah, it's a tea. Yeah. <laughs> guy on the tea. Um, and yeah, just. Something. And then when he says, you know, when they're asking her age, they go as far to ask oh. if she's 10 years old and then 15 and where she they, she finally says she's 15 he yeah. uh Sharpless says oh well that's that's young still playing with toys and he says or oh, wedding cake yeah you know like he feels like that's the perfect age he wants this young it's it's, it's a little weird it's i mean he wouldn't be that much older mm-hmm. but she could have passed for 10 years old that's what they are basically saying that that she's so young looking mm. um which is 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 a little disturbing in a lot of I ways i hope that yeah. they're being uh uh ironic there and not oh i think she could i think she they they don't know this is a completely foreign culture well, to them and it's a different pe- uh, size of people mm. you know mm-hmm. um and dressed completely differently and uh with different costumes on you can't really tell how old somebody might be you know well i'm gonna have to defend the guy (laughs) at least 13 (laughs) at least 13 (laughs) but not 10 you know well kids in all of western culture and i think world culture Mm -hmm. it was not uncommon for women to be engaged in marital yeah. relationships by the age of 13 yeah. or 14. Yes. And men, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Judaism, 13, you're a man. Mm-hmm. And ready to take on a man's responsibilities. That means fathering mm-hmm. children. Um, in Oof. Europe, the age got older and older and older. Right. And in the 19th century, it was older than it is now. Yeah, We, get married, we can marry younger now in this country. But it... Uh, I think also it says something about, I mean, it says a lot about um, where Butterfly is as far as uh, she, you know, the fact that she's marrying Pinkerton at all um, and at this age and in this circumstance uh, says a lot about how much she needs to be supported Mm -hmm. at this point. Like, I don't think think she's forced into the marriage, but she's certainly, um, like, she needs... She needs to do something. Things are not... She's in a tough spot. She, her whole family. she even says, um, you know, she doesn't feel hard done by. Like, she doesn't feel like these were the things that happened to her life. And she says, cose del mondo. This, mm, this yeah. is the way life is. This is the, life, this the way is of the world. This is just the way of the world. And mm. it's a very... 
mature thing to say. Yeah. Well, especially when you're talking year about year the complete loss of a family fortune, right. the death of her father, and now being thrown no, into so the whole country is changing through, quite yeah. quite dramatically and not very. Lot. Yeah. Already. Yes. Oh, it's amazing to think about what that time period would have been like to that monumental, huge shift in Japanese culture. Yes, uh, to go from feudalism to the broad world absolutely. within one generation. Yes, mm. yes, yeah. completely. And I closed mean, off feudalism. Yes, yep. Uh, and what the, compl- uh, not complete restructuring of society, but a very large restructuring of society. Sp- commerce, certainly. Yeah, uh, and family dynamics. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were there were samurai just roaming around uh, with nothing to do. And, you know, like... Because yeah, they've done away with war. That's right. Well, they've been, <laughs> yeah. it all gone to the So what do you do with the soldiers when you've done away with war? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, yeah. we have to it's repurpose all these people. <laughs> How yeah. do you do that? Yeah, exactly. Um, but, I, mm. yeah, I mean... And then for for foreign power foreign powers to come in and um, just be you know after being closed off for for so long to have mm-hmm. this very um, intrusive uh, uh, culture not yeah we were an intrusive culture what are we talking about um, we came <laughs> in and we intruded and uh, uh, it's just such an interesting take on that um, I think I think Pinkerton is such a such an interesting the way he walks into the room and his musical um the thrust of his his lines are just so very interesting to think about as as an american and to see how puccini wrote him you know reviewed americans yeah and you know this Mm -hmm. is the kinder version oh puccini rewrote this opera okay it had a terrible premiere it was Mm -hmm. withdrawn the next day Mm. And cat calls and screams. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Especially toward the end. And the issue was the second act was just way, way, way too long. Long, yeah. And so because of the the lighting effect, Mm. when when the play was introduced. Oh, by the way, David Belasco, who wrote the play and Mm -hmm. premiered it in New York, he's from here. What? Really? Yeah. David Belasco was born in San Francisco. His family were oh. Sephardic Jews. They came with the gold rush to San Francisco. Wow. He was born there. And as a young kid, like 11 or 12 years old, he got involved with a theater troupe of some kind. <laughs> oh, and he ended up working in San Jose, California at 140 West San Fernando Street at Auditorium Hall and also at Horticultural Hall. Wow. Uh, wow. Produce, he would write, produce, direct, and star in plays. Oh, my God. And they would take them anywhere they could go. In his own letters, yeah. he says, in any bar, any barn, any place, any any room, they yeah. would they would go out and perform anywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, he leaves like in 1822 or something and goes moves to New York, and for 30 years is the dominant impresario of Broadway wow. for 30 years. And he runs into a short story by a guy named John Luther Long, whose sister was the wife of a missionary. They lived in Nagasaki. Oh, my God. And she knew all about Chocho-san. From there, they came home on a visit. She tells her brother this story. He goes upstairs, stays up all night long, and writes Madam Butterfly hmm. as a short story. Wow. Hmm. Uh, and then Belasco finds it, makes it into a play, which mm-hmm. he plays with in Double Bill. He had Naughty Anthony on stage, and it was not doing all that well at that point. He needed something else, and he introduced Electric Light. 
to the stage for the oh first time. Oh my goodness. Wow. That was why Belasco mm-hmm. was dominant. He was constantly finding mm-hmm. new ways to have realism. Mm-hmm. So he introduced, and so this scene, getting from the afternoon mm-hmm. through the night into the dawn yeah. mm-hmm. was the big deal. Mm-hmm. I see. Because you got to use electric light projections, all that kind of stuff. When yeah. I say projections, I mean pure light, yes. but, but having stars come out, having the moon come out, have all that stuff fade mm-hmm. away, that was all possible because of electric light, and everybody just went nuts mm-hmm. for it, so he took it to London, it was the Duke of York Theatre, the stage manager at the Duke of York knew Puccini, mm-hmm. and Puccini happened to be in Paris, <laughs> so he telegrams Puccini, says, you need to get over here, because if you see this, you will turn this into an opera, this is your stuff. The thing that Puccini valued above everything was that from seeing what's going on on the stage, you didn't need to understand the text to know what's happening. Because he didn't understand English, right? And so he saw the... And he sat there and he was completely moved by it and evidently immediately went to Ricordi to say, I need the rights to this Mm. Madame Butterfly. It took about a year. Uh, And then he got the rights and off he went to write Madame Butterfly. Of course, then he had a car accident in the middle of that, but it came out in what, Mm -hmm. 1904, I guess. Mm -hmm. He just had Tosca in 1900, so now he has Butterfly. But he had Bohème, which was not a success at first, but became a success. And then he had Tosca, which was a success with the public from the Mm get-go. And he wanted something to back up those two because they were his first two successes. Well, Manolesco was a big success from the start, too. Mm -hmm. But he had a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble with Bohem. That took a long time for people to warm up to that. It's interesting. It tells you a lot about the people at that time then, if you think about it. You know, uh, especially Italians in that (laughs) way, you know. Um, It's everything's about, you know, they always want a little more drama. And the, the problem was, through Verdi, it is true melodic writing melodies mm-hmm. carried the day true mm-hmm. melodies yeah, right. carried the day periodic melodic form yep carried the day the, i mean verdi did dabble in arioso certainly mm-hmm. but sempre libra is not an arioso <laughs> it's a true melody yeah. mm-hmm. and and, the, and he carried that straight through right mm-hmm. straight through uh, and but the influence coming over the alps was from massenet mm-hmm. and bizet mm-hmm. and wagner and they were not all about writing melodies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were writing melodic arioso, mm-hmm. not the same thing. And the young, the scapigliaturi, were, were making this change. They, were, uh, they wanted the Italians to forget that stuff. You need to move with the world. You need to be in sync with the world. And Puccini was kind of straddling both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when he write, wrote Menno Lesco, that's about, honest to God, melodies. Mm-hmm. And then he writes La Boheme. And the big scream was, there's not a melody in the opera. <laughs> and today we go, what are you talking about? <laughs> but sing any piece from it. Mm-hmm. There's not a melody in it. Okay. It's melodic. Que gelida manina. There's no melody in there. It's the, it feels more thematic to me. Yeah, it's much it's like I through, think, through composed almost. It's yeah. like the whole. Yeah, it's, it's arioso. Very, well, we have we have um, our assistant conductor Dennis Dubin. He loves to take all the little thematic moments and sing them. Sometimes they get a little distracted. Yeah, it's very distracting because all of a sudden he'll, he'll be this? singing another part of the opera. <laughs> and, and, it, and you're like, oh, well that's where that comes from. And it'll be like three or four in a given page. Yeah, uh, underneath yeah it's the, really amazing. Yeah. yeah. 
It's it's totally it is amazing fascinating. that his brain can do two things at once in that way. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty remarkable. Dennis Dubin yeah. is a smart man. Oh yes. Unbelievably smart. Daniel yeah. Steuben is a smart man. Anytime yeah. he's here, it's a happy day for Opera San Jose. Yeah, to have that influence in our company, yeah. that's a big oh, yes. deal. Absolutely. Because yeah, he's, he's not just charming. He carries the whole freight of the skill set. Yeah, from is. a child, by the way. From a child. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah, he's quite, quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's actually really been great getting to work with him. I'll mm-hmm. tell you, there are moments at Opera San Jose... And especially in this room doing these podcasts, when I'll have a stage director and a conductor together in the room and they're chatting about Laissez Cosi. And I sit there and I think, Larry Hancock, you are a mental midget. Oh, I feel that way all the time. (laughs) All the time. Oh my gosh. Surrounded by people who, their knowledge of history just keeps going so deep Mm -hmm. because they have researched so many things over so long. Mm -hmm. And, And then they can quote, Anything from the opera, yeah. any oh, moment, a, any passage. I have a friend, well, our friend Bob Malacone, who's been here a couple of times, he can play this score and sing every single note from memory. He, he, I mean, you know Peter Grunberg. Oh, of course, yeah. He can play cozy from memory. Oh my gosh, I think I think Bob can too. His he had a, a professor who had him just memorize scores, um, which I, I don't I don't have. I don't have any kind of capacity to do anything like that. Like, that just blows my mind. Have you ever met Anton Coppola? Uh-uh. So he is a, still a c- composer, conductor, 102 years old, <gasps> and he can play. He's part of the Coppola family. Uh, he's in New York a lot. He's still alive, and he can still play any Puccini score oh my gosh. by memory. Oh, my gosh. All parts. He's 102, and he's mm. still conducting. Oh. It's unreal. Well, there it's you have unreal. it. Mm-hmm. Puccini a day. He's a keeps cool, cool man. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> wow. That's, I, I think with these pieces, too, it's it just, they're so, they're, you know, relatively um, current as opposed to, like, a Mozart or anything. But um, but there's just so much history that goes mm-hmm. into, it's just layers and layers and layers, layers. of things. Um, and having yeah. talks like this is really helpful because you can add to that little bank that you have in your head. Knowledge in the back of, of your head. All the new things that I you're would learning. like to invite you to something that is uh, your time off. Mm-hmm. And it's when the orchestra has their read. I've um, already talked to Joe about going. Oh, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great, so. great, great. I'll tell you, mm-hmm. it's something I hate to miss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And certain composers. And it's something I'd never had the opportunity to until I had this job, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was I, I used to work in the scene shop, so I was down there. And I know that I, I have the schedule. I know when they're going to do it. So I just, I go sit behind one of the panels <laughs> so nobody's looking mm-hmm. at me. That's when you find out what kind of a genius the composer really is. Oh, yeah, for oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. When the voices are not present. Because mm-hmm. you know it. You're singing it in your head. You can sing every part in your head. Mm-hmm. And here comes this orchestra. And you go, oh, that's how he built it up to, to this moment so that this arch that I'm going to have to sing mm-hmm. is has a structure under it that takes it forward. Mm-hmm. And how he now quits supporting it and lets it come back down. Yeah. I mean, you, you get... You're just sitting there going, oh, my God, this guy's so smart. Well, it's also quite remarkable when you sing a role with piano, you know, day in and day out. And as soon as the orchestra comes in, it becomes so much easier to yeah. sing. Yes. It's 
incredible. The support is so much strings. different. Strings it's, lift you mm-hmm. and carry you. Mm-hmm. I have this military veterans course that I conduct, and I've decided now I'm going to start playing for them string quartets. Mm, yes. Because I'm having a trouble the with best. them to sing their phrases all the way through without breaking them. Because mm-hmm. they'll come a- against a, a half note and they'll establish the pitch as a quarter note and then let it fade. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they're copying the sound of a piano. Mm-hmm. That's oh, the only thing I can figure out. They hit the note and then they let oh, it fade and then they sing fall. the next yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, it's been really, really hard for me to get them yeah. sing all the way through. Even whole notes covering a whole measure they'll establish the pitch and then they fade out yeah you can't do that yeah uh and and if i yell at them they'll do it right if i stop everything let's do that again come on mm-hmm. keep the but if i start making them before we start singing listen to schubert quartets or something just mm-hmm. a little bit because the, the strings Strange. do that quite yeah. naturally right okay yep and they'll hear it and they'll go, oh, that's it. Because I'm constantly telling them, like strings, like strings. But they don't know what that means. Well, we used to do an exercise. This might be interesting to try. We used to do an exercise in, um, we had a class, an opera opera class, where it was just about performing and acting. And it was really great. We just got up in front of each other and messed around. And um, it was very helpful. But one of the things that we would do, if we were really struggling with legato or holding notes or things, or breast support or anything like that, um, the, our teacher would have us... Uh, pretend that we were uh, like just making it seems yeah. pedantic. No, 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 but no I'm hearing just you. Just making the the mm-hmm, motion of it mm-hmm. because the the string instrument was designed to be the human voice, and as a former string player, it's it's been so fabulous to have that as a a tactile tool in my memory bank. It's improved, helped my singing technique, and then my singing technique has helped my my violin string playing. technique yeah. yeah so it's you just even just mimicking it even if you've never played a, a violin or anything before mimicking that motion um and closing your eyes and imagining your voice is the mm-hmm. is the bow on the string can be can be mm-hmm. super helpful um i'll introduce that yeah give it a try they'll all laugh out loud but i'll make them do it anyway well, i, I kind mean of, I, kind yeah. of, my voice teacher back in the day she would very similar to like this she's like it's like pulling taffy you're just yeah pull 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 yep. pull pull, 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 yep, pull. Yep, yep. it's very similar to you know that mm-hmm, bowing mm-hmm. motion cons- consistently going you sing all the time you yep. just like, never let it go exactly it can be very tiring <laughs> well the thing about music is your brain is engaged the whole time you're doing it mm-hmm. and it's and as an as a, an opera singer, your brain is still engaged when you stopped doing it. Yeah, and, and other people sleep. are. <laughs> yeah, you you're, sleep. you're still entirely oh engaged. So that's what's so exhausting, I yeah. think, about mm-hmm. being on stage as a singer, because you are absolutely every second of the time engaged. There's no sitting back. That's why we like wine so much, is because it's, yeah, yeah, it's the only way to get this the yeah. opera out of our heads. Sometimes there's that post week, that week after the show is done, when you have the show stuck in your head. All the time, and you can't. It's, it's like, like the earbug, and it just yep. goes around and around and around. And, and there's around. nothing. You know, you're not. You're, you, there's always that. That usually there's a period of time after a show ends when you have nothing to do, and it's just spinning there. That's when you catch up on your reading. Oh gosh. <laughs> See, I find it when I'm actually learning the music. When I'm learning, oh it, yes, that, that too. Is the worst time. Then yeah. after the, once it's all in there, it's all memorized. I don't have to think about it anymore. Then that all calms down and I, I'm able to sleep again, you know. But then what ends up happening is I've learned this and I have something else coming up. So I have to start mm-hmm. learning something else at the yeah. same time that I'm doing a show or whatever. 
And so you just get used to sleeping three hours a night. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Lots of melatonin. Lots of melatonin. Uh-huh. Uh, well, <laughs> my dear friends, what a joy to have yeah. spent some time with you. Oh, thank uh, you so much. Thank and you for having us. We're yeah. so excited to be singing these roles together. Yes, and this is going to be, I think this is a pretty monumental uh, new butterfly in the world. I'm, I think this is going oh, to be... this Maria Natale, I am... I, really? I've already had to talk with Maria Natale about what I think of her. No. Well, <laughs> I, well I've, uh, whatever you said, I'm sure I agreed wholeheartedly because wow, I'm just... I'm absolutely... I mean... Uh, yeah, I think uh, we're, well, we're doing this again well, in Tulsa. Well, likewise, because I'm so excited to, yeah, we're singing this we're together. Singing this, yep, very Next exciting. Season. But mm-hmm. I think I think it's going to be, I mean, yeah, she's phenomenal. So I, uh, Well, yeah. I feel the same way. Oh. I really do. And mm-hmm. I'm so happy to be singing with you because it's just, it's a joy. And you're oh, well, everything. Girl, well, I'm happy she's to bring all those. Water on uh, stage for uh, you. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to move <laughs> all those props for you. I really <laughs> Well, I guess we should stop because I have a donor tour happening. Oh, fantastic. At 2 o'clock, Yay. and I think it is 2 o'clock. Well, we should probably get warmed up for our so. run through today. Yay. Yeah, because yeah, you'll have a little audience today. Oh, that's right. I think we have like 40 people coming in. Ooh. Oh, wow. Then that we should, should warm up. We should. <laughs> <laughs> okay, dear ones. Thank you so uh, thank much. You so thank much. you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.